You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson with New Radio Media, and we'll spend the next hour talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we do it. If you'd like to call in, 844-999-9249. That's 844-999-9249. You can email us at Let's Talk Torah, no apostrophes, Let's Talk Torah at gmail.com. Or I don't know if I could see it on the show, but you know, LinkedIn for me has just been fantastic. I don't know. Well, Angel should know about LinkedIn because I just uh, friended you, not friended, whatever. I, we connected. See? LinkedIn's been amazing for me. I, um, I actually, la- over the last couple of days, I set up like four out of my next five interviews. People I've never met before, all interesting, some authors, um, some have organizations. We'll talk to them over the next couple weeks. But LinkedIn has been fantastic. So you want to get in touch with me, you want to you wanna, you wanna talk to me on air, interview, other stuff, my pleasure. We'll have fun. Just send me a message and we'll talk, which is what I've been doing to lots of people. It's lots of fun. In any case... Um, the weather's a little more pleasant for those of you who wanted to go outside. Maybe not beach weather, but it's, uh, my kids thought it was beach weather. Um, we're still off school. We'll talk about school later in the show, maybe at the tail end. We'll get into, into some school stuff, getting ready for the school year. But um, we all make plans. My wife and I had plans with the kids, lots of trips we were going to go on this week. And all of a sudden, she got a call. Her mother is having surgery. She's fine. Thank God. But um, she flew in, which, of course, uh, I guess turns over the apple cart there. And uh, I was left with the children, which is fine. We, we rented a campgrounds so we could have a barbecue. And we get the wood. We make a big bonfire. And we have our hot dogs. And, uh, okay, I have my sauerkraut. And they have their mustard and uh, chips and uh, marshmallows. I don't know. This marshmallow stuff on fires, you ever do that stuff, Ben? Oh, yeah. Oh, 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 yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I can't understand. It's eating a piece of charcoal with some gooey stuff inside. Well, it doesn't work for me. Yeah, you know, the interesting thing about marshmallows, most people don't know that that's an animal product. Interesting. Not the ones I eat, probably. Right. But, well, um, well, gelatin in general is. Right, well, but there's yeah. some you can get. Some, right, there's yeah, there's yeah. ways to do it. Yeah. yeah. So we, we did that. Then the kids wanted to go by the lake. I said, no problem. It was yeah. a little chilly. We didn't, like, come prepared for swimming. But my two little ones wanted to get wet. So I said, okay, you pick up your, take off your shoes, take off your socks, take off your Crocs, roll up your pants, no problem. Yeah. Well, they kept walking. Pants, shirt, all. It's no problem. My wife's not home. All I got to do is throw it into the laundry. Who's going to know? You know, the car will get a little dirty. It's not the worst thing in the world. So we did that with the kids. Um, so, I mean, you know, if it would have been like 90 degrees, it would have been perfect. But, but you said your wife wasn't home. Who's going to know? And you just said it. She doesn't listen. Oh. <laughs> My okay, kids okay. listen to the show. 
She doesn't listen. All right, all right, all right. She doesn't know. You know, I have to keep the house clean because he's a very clean person. So yeah. if the house is a, a tornado, it's not right. going to be good. So we did that. The kids wanted to go bowling. I said, there's so much stuff to do. To, to do. They wanted bowling. Yeah. So... You know, because the summer, some of the alleys are not open that we usually go to. Oh, familiar with that, yeah. And my kids like bumpers because then you get a half-decent score. Yeah. So the guy said there were only four of us and myself. It's five. We're not going to have two lanes. And he said you have to be under seven for bumpers. Yes. So we convinced everyone, yeah, we'll go without bumpers. And interesting enough... They were okay. Now, right. I'm not sure if you're a good uh, bowler or not, but for my kids getting in the 40s or 50s, they did well. I grew up working in a bowling alley, actually. And you let the kids have bumpers. You know, seven, I wouldn't cut it off there. I, I, it all depends, you know? There's places we go, they let everybody bowl. Hey, then my wife came back. We, we went to Safari yesterday in yeah. Ohio. Fantastic. Okay. So we make our plans, God laughs at our plans, but the children still need to be entertained. In any case, today's numerous topics. This is a Torah portion with, I believe, the largest number of commandments. When I teach these types of portions in class, I say, we're not going to do them all. It's not happening. But we'll touch on the ones that I feel like touching on. I never say the most important ones. I just say the ones that uh, interest me or I think will interest you is what we'll touch on today. Um, We'll talk about Chauffeur. I got a great story later today. We got some fantastic trending news. Of course, Rabbi Jonas and Goldson from Ethical Imperatives will be with us later for his uh, under two-minute blurb. But let's uh, let's get rolling. You know, the high holidays are coming uh, really a couple weeks away, even though it's summer and you don't realize, but they're coming. So uh, I want you to think about the following two stories. Let's think about it for a second. So I'm not saying you particular, but many of us, myself included, um, have had the privilege or honor of having that siren with flashing lights go off behind when you're driving your car and you're thinking, he saw me, I didn't really go through the red light, I thought it was yellow, was I really speeding, I was following traffic, I thought I was following traffic, that guy was going faster than me. I mean, this is for those of you who have ever been uh, pulled over by... uh, by our fine police officers who do an excellent job, except when they're pulling me over. Um, in any case, um, you're nervous. It's like an automatic. Your hands grip the steering wheel, and you're thinking what it's going to cost me and my insurance. Really, really. Like, what's the big deal? And it's not like I have drugs in the car or anything. It's not like I believe he's going to arrest me and uh, tow away my car, even though one time... As a side, I actually, I didn't know. I had a suspended license in New York because I had a ticket I hadn't paid in New York, which I didn't know about because I had moved. So the probably one of those red light tickets must have gone to my old house, which mm-hmm. I didn't live at. Yeah. So 10 years later, they're telling me um, you're on a suspended license in a state that I'm only in once in a while. But generally speaking, um, when the officer pulls you over, you are not, nothing terrible is happening. It's a few dollars in your pocketbook, hopefully not too much in the insurance. But we're all petrified. We're all nervous. We don't like when, when a police officer pulls over. We, the siren, the lights make us nervous. It's automatic. Give you another example. Um, this one, for some, is, it is scary for good reason. If you would live or were to live in Siderot, that's a city 
um, in southern Israel, right on the border of Gaza, mm-hmm. when their siren goes off, they're frightened because that means missiles have been launched from Gaza and you got your 30 seconds to find somewhere safe and where are my kids? Those are all frightening things. Mm-hmm. So these are two standard siren examples that any normal person would be scared. Then we have the high holidays. And those are familiar. I think everyone's familiar. We blow the chauffeur, right, that ram's horn. Um, some people have strong ones or lighter ones or calmer ones. But its its purpose is to be like a siren. And its purpose is really to frighten people, to say, you know, the year is up. God's coming down. He's going to judge everyone. And um, I would like to meet the person that when the police officer pulls him over, He's not scared. But when he hears that trumpet, that chauffeur, that ram's horn blow, then all of a sudden he's nervous. I would like to meet that person. As even though we know, and as our minds tell us, I'm scared of the police officer, it's an inconvenience, I shouldn't have been speeding, I should have been more careful by the light, okay, I got all that stuff. I should not be scared, but I am scared. While when the chauffeur is being blown, all of a sudden, yeah, yeah, it's supposed to remind me of something. It should remind me I'm going to have a good new year, and I wasn't as good as I should have been last year, and I'm going to, okay, God, I'm very sorry, and I'm going to be better. It's just an interesting uh, way we live of, uh, of what we should be scared of and what we are scared of. So as we get ready, as the holidays are approaching, it's something interesting, maybe important to think about. What's I have a chauffeur uh, queued up. You have a chauffeur sound queued up? Yeah. Uh, I'm ready. Go for it. Where is where's that chauffeur? You can't miss it. That sounds like a trumpet. It's just, it is a man playing a chauffeur. If you would like... I hear, I hear. I don't blow it that way, I'll tell you. Okay. Oh, that's good. In other words, re- when I blow, mm-hmm. is that I actually blow the show for myself. So there's different, there's different customs how to blow it. Right. Um, the, the, the type of synagogue I'm in, they want a perfectly straight note. They don't care what the note is. But it's got to be, from beginning to end, one long note. Not, not a, like this guy that you were pulling up was to. Ooh. I think he was giving a, a, a demonstration right, of it. To, ooh. Right. Even if I give a demonstration, they're very straight, and some of them are like staccato, just like like a machine gun almost. Okay. See, that's much more like it. That straight sound. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. Once Ben is playing the sounds for you, there's that long sound. We call that a tkia, and that goes before and after the set. Mm-hmm. And then you have in between where it's either three um, medium size or mm-hmm. nine, or it's really more than nine because no one can blow nine. You lose count. So it's like, a, like real quick ones. Both words of those sounds, shvarim, which means broken, um, terua, um, it's debatable exactly what terua means, but it's the, that very fast sound, are all really symbolized or symbolic of people crying. That's really what it's all about. In other words, we're blowing the chauffeur, we realize we're supposed to be repenting, we realize we did something wrong, and we want to hear, we want to hear um, that sound to put into our minds that we got to be thinking about things. So all I'm just trying to point out is it's interesting. We're okay? Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Yeah, you're good. No, okay, I'm just watching, you know. Well. You know, I'm a teacher. Yeah. Sorry for the interruption. And when I teach, sorry, Tony, don't laugh so hard. When I teach in class, Tony, I see everything. So what happens is if I see something happening that I think I have to stop for, which is not good, by the way, and I was, you're really just supposed to go straight and ignore. I, I'm not good at ignoring what's around me, which is terrible for you. I see, oh, I, I mean, as a teacher, we see everything. Right. Well, it's not like we are essentially passing notes in class, but it is, uh, the notes we are passing are to improve your upon your show. So if Great. it was something that we needed to <laughs> alert you of, I, we would alert you no right away. No problem. Okay. But, as, but again, coming where I'm, I get you. on yeah. my side of the desk, yeah. my first reaction is, oh, they're passing notes. Okay, that means you're not paying attention. We got to take care of what's oh, going on. We here. are passing notes because we were paying attention. That's amazing. I can't wait till my first third grader comes up with that excuse and says, Oh, Rebbe, I wrote that note because I was paying attention. That will be fantastic. Right. So uh, it's, we're all learning. Yeah. And I'm going to learn to ignore. That, that's why I'm better teaching younger grades than older grades because right. older grades, you, you got to let more things slide by. Right. Oh, yeah, I'm terrible. I don't let anything slide by. <laughs> I, 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 it's like. It's unbelievable. Anyways, so we're talking about Shofar. Sorry about that interruption. We're talking about Shofar. We're talking about the purpose of Shofar is that I need to recognize that God is coming down to judge. And I'm being judged. And that's something that we all need to recognize and do something about it. And the doing, which we'll talk about over the next couple of weeks, is to, is to imp- not only improve on what I've been in the past, but this fantastic concept of repenting for what I've already done. Like we've discussed, we're talking about policemen. Um, we've said it a hundred times already. You go to court, the policeman brings you a ticket, he says you're speeding. So depending on your court, most of the time they, um, it's terrible, I have so much experience with this. Um, but generally speaking, um, wherever I've been at least, that's a great line, generally speaking, wherever I've been. But in any case, you go to court and you meet with a prosecutor, you meet with a police officer, and they let you plea bargain. Now, it usually costs you more money to plea bargain so that you don't have the regular ticket. They'll give you a different ticket and no points, and they get more money, and it's fine. So you you can't say, I won't do it again, because they're going to say, of course you won't do it again. If you do it again, we're going to charge you more money. So there's, there's no concept in a courtroom of repentance, per se. Maybe they want to, when they're going to sentence you, if they see there's remorse, they'll have some mercy. But there's no concept of repentance to say, okay, I see you're really sorry. We'll, uh, we'll let it uh, go this time. We'll actually erase it off your record. That's not happening. While in God's book, if I repent, I recognize what I did wrong. I, I, I'm sorry for what I did wrong. And I, and I work on myself that I won't do it again. So it's erased out of the records. Now, when I tell erased out of the records, even in, in courts, when they tell you it's not on your record, um, it really is on your record. In other words, when you come in front of the court and say, I have no speeding tickets, and they say, sure you do, I have a whole long list. And you tell the judge, but your honor, I plea bargain. They said those were all off. He, the judge will tell you they're not really off. They're in your record. They're just uh, not going to give you the full fine. But they know it's there, and they keep track. So you got to watch out for all these things. Okay, that's, I want to get into show for a little bit, into the holiday season. Let's get, a, in the next couple of minutes at least, let's start talking about this week's Torah portion. And, of course, we'll continue after the break. So one of the important laws, they're all important, but I think for all of us, is the concept of returning 
a lost object. If somebody loses something, the Torah says you have to return it. Now, obviously, if you find $10 floating down the street, you can't return it. There's not much you can do, right? But if you find an object and it has the person's name on it or a phone number or a wallet with money in it, of course you could return it. And the Torah does not believe in finders, keepers, losers, weepers. That is not a Torah thought. But the Torah wants you to go ahead. If you find something, you have to return it. You know, um, there was a great story um, with Rabbi Moses Feinstein. We've brought up his name numerous times. And um, generally, fifth grade students, fifth grade boys, when they start Talmud, the first tractate they start, the first chapter they start, deals with the rules of lost and found. When you have to take it, when you have to leave it, how do you return it, how do you know if it belongs to the person. So there was a fifth grade class in his school, and a boy found a dollar bill in the back of the classroom. And he says, oh, I found a dollar. And another boy yells out, it's mine, I, I, I lost a dollar. And the finder says, but there's no proof, there's no proof on a dollar bill. So the teacher took them to Rabbi Feinstein. So Rabbi Feinstein listened to both sides, and he reached into his pocket, and he pulled out a dollar. And he gave it to the one who lost the dollar. Well, the finder, when you see the head rabbi give a dollar, he said, oh, no, he can have mine. And Rabbi Feinstein said, you're allowed to keep it. You don't must give it to him. You're technically allowed to keep it. But we do try to teach people that there's something going above and beyond the strict letter of the law. And that means that if you know it's his and you found it and it doesn't cost you anything, then give it to him. You know, there's so much I want to talk about in Lost and Found. We're going to get back to more Lost and Found when we come back from the break. If you have any questions about it, feel free to call me. You're listening to Let's Talk to the Rabbi Tzu on New Radio Media. And we're going to be right back. Maple Lane Golf Club is a 54-hole golfing treasure located in the heart of Sterling Heights. Maple Lane Golf Club offers immaculate greens, a top-flight pro shop, and inexpensive green fees. For convenience, book your tee time online at maplelanegolf.com. Come out and enjoy a great golf experience. Try our 9 and Dine special, 9 holes of golf, and enjoy food and refreshments in the Clubhouse Bistro. That's Maple Lane Golf Club in Sterling Heights. Check us out at maplelanegolf.com. Advertising your business these days can be challenging. Traditional radio and TV ads are expensive and, frankly, a bit of a crapshoot. Not to mention, the audience for over-the-air material is shrinking as more and more of us demand to see and hear what we want, when we want. Advertising on new radio media is a solution. With our live streaming programs that are also available on demand, your message is always ready when your customers are ready to watch and listen, all for a fraction of what you'd likely have been paying for other ads. NewRadioMedia.com. Call Buzz Van Houten at 248-939-9999 for more information. Hey, you guys, it's Raphael of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Guess what? The only thing we can get down here in the sewer is Geektainment Weekly on new radio media. Turtle power! Detroit. It's the home of some of the world's most talented artists. It's where techno and Motown were born. It's a city where you can experience raw, untamed rock and roll. I'm Ben Rose, and I'm inviting you to join me weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 for the Motor City Juke Joint. 
I'll have interviews with musicians, info on what's going on around town, and a playlist curated by me just for you. It's all right here on NewRadioMedia.com. If you are paying attention to the show, you can see a change in the studio. You know, they have this fantastic, um, and Highlights Magazine, other magazines, they like draw these pictures, and there's two pictures, and you're supposed to be able to figure out what's different from one picture to the next, but you have nothing to compare it to. So if I remember later on, um, before the break, I'll try to remind myself, um, I'll write myself a note, what's changed? That'll keep us busy. But in any case, we're talking about lost and found. So there's a concept of if you find something, you have to return it. That's the first thing. It has to have a sign. We have to have a way of identifying it. Certain things, of course, you can't identify. That's the first thing we have to do. Um, if we can't identify it, then there are rules to go above and beyond the letter of the law. In Hebrew, that's called lifnim mishiras hadin. Above and beyond the letter of the law. And that's what Rabbi Feinstein was trying to teach that boy, that it's true you found it, but you know he lost it, so it's not going to hurt you. And that's a, a beautiful, amazing, um, if you've ever seen it, um, in many Jewish um, like um, weeklies or dailies, you have these different magazines that go out in different Jewish communities. There's always a section that, uh, that says, found bracelet on this block, uh, someone left a coat uh, by this bar mitzvah, um, um, any of these types of things. People, even though technically there's no way to find the person who lost it, we, they'll, there's like free advertising. So people are looking to return lost objects. It's really a very beautiful idea because, again... It's not mine, it's God's. So I found it. So God's giving me an opportunity to make somebody happy, get something back. We told this story. It's, a, it's really the opposite story of that uh, man one time who, a uh, Jewish man, found a wallet with a thousand ruble. And he heard that a, a, an important officer had lost a wallet. So he took the wallet with the money and he brings it to that uh, officer. And the officer looks in the wallet and uh, this Jewish fellow says, um, you know, here's the money you lost, here's the wallet you lost, and he's like waiting for a reward. Like, I return you a thousand ruble, you'll give me 20. I, I could have kept it. Um, while he's standing there, the officer looks through and he says, You thief, there's only a thousand in here. There's supposed to be 2,000 ruble in here. Um, and he calls the police, and the man is arrested, and he says, I was trying to do a good deed. And instead, the guy looked for an excuse to not to give me a reward. So he has, the rabbi comes into the court and he tells the fellow, don't worry, I'll, uh, I'll be your defense attorney. You have nothing to worry about. So sure enough, a week later, they're in front of the judge and the judge says, what's the story? And the finder, the Jewish finder says, I found this spot on the street. No name, no nothing, a thousand ruble. But I heard that this officer over here had lost a wallet with a lot of money. I went to ask if it was his. And instead of giving me a reward, I'm thrown in jail. So the officer says, Your Honor, he's a thief. I had 2,000 ruble in that wallet, and there's only 1,000 here. So the, the uh, judge is thinking, and the rabbi is there, and he says, Your Honor, 
Um, do you mind if I put in my two cents? The judge says, go right ahead. And he says, uh, Your Honor, this man is obviously an honest man. He found a wallet. He went to return it. He said he found 1,000 rubles. The officer here says he lost a wallet with 2,000 rubles. Obviously, we're not talking about the same wallet. So I believe the wallet with 1,000 rubles should go back to the finder until we find the person who claims he lost 1,000 rubles and will still be on the lookout for that wallet full of 2,000 rubles for that officer. So, so goes the story. But again, the concept of if we find something, we try to return it, is a, a Torah command. So this week, there was an interesting um, video I saw. It went viral, didn't go viral. Um, one of these troublemakers um, wanted to see what people would do if they found his cell phone. So what he did was he would like sit on a park bench, put his phone next to him, and pretend to be dozing off. So people would walk by and look and check and see if he's really sleeping, and they would take the cell phone. And then they'd walk a few feet away, and he'd get up, and then he'd hit a little buzzer, and the, I guess there was like an electric shock in the phone, and the guy would go wild and throw the phone out of his pocket. I don't know if any of you guys saw that video this week. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, you did see it this week, Ben. Okay, good. Yeah. So he did it one time. He, a guy put it in his pocket, and he walked over. Oh, did you find my cell phone? I left it. I can't remember where I put it. And the guy says, no, 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 I didn't find no cell phone. And sure enough, he pulls out the buzzer, and the guy's hopping around until he throws the cell phone out of his pocket. In other words, there's obviously you see the difference between different types of people, but um, going back to the, the story of Rabbi Feinstein, one of the reasons Rabbi Feinstein said we teach children these laws of lost and found first. And I was, in Talmudic law, there's, there's everything. There's daily blessings, there's daily prayers, there's holidays, there's money matters, marriage things, a kosher. So a, a man went, a teacher went to Rabbi Feinstein and said, why are we starting with the laws of lost and found? They're very complicated. They're not as common as prayer as Sabbath, as holidays, why don't we teach the children the tractates that are more relevant on a daily basis? So if Einstein said that this is relevant on a daily basis, if we can tell a child daily, if it doesn't belong to you, you can't keep it, that's the best lesson we could ever teach a child. So over and over and over, when children in fifth grade starting their, their life delving into the sea of the Talmud, of the oral law, the first thing we teach them over and over and over again is, if it doesn't belong to you, you have to return it. As uh, one more uh, on, that, uh, on this rule happens to be, nowadays you put signs up in synagogue, you put in these dailies like I told you. In those days, there was actually a special stone in Jerusalem, and when everybody would go up, to the temple three times a year for the holidays. So if you lost something or found something, you went to this place, and a person would get up and make an announcement, I found an object. I, don't know, I found a piece of clothing. So you would go over to him and say, well, you know, I lost a sweater in this and this place, and if it matched, he gave you back the sweater. So in those days, they had a special like platform that they stood on to take care of this command of returning lost objects. Okay. Um, let's move along. So uh, I'm not going to get to everything over here. So let's skip around over here. So here's a fantastic one. So a lot of money 
issues going on with money laws in this Torah portion. So we're all familiar with, uh, with banks, right? If you've taken a loan, so your house is your collateral. If you have a car loan, your car is your collateral. You don't pay the taking back the car. You don't pay the taking back the house. Um, you have pawn shops. I've been actually on LinkedIn speaking with a pawnbroker. One of these days I'll bring him in. He seems to be a pretty fascinating person. So what happens in a pawn shop? You need to borrow money. So the pawn shops, the owner says, all right, I'm going to give you money. You're going to give me collateral. If you don't pay within six months, I'm keeping it. I'm going to sell it. That's one kind of collateral. Um, in, in, in this week's Torah portion, it's a little bit different. The case is I borrowed money from you. We wrote a contract, let's say 30 days, six months, a year. And after a year, I, can't, I don't have the money. I can't afford to pay you. So the court will allow... The, lend, the, the lender to take a collateral. In other words, we want you to pay. You know you want to pay. So before we start selling your stuff, give him a collateral. And, uh, and uh, he'll hold on to it. And hopefully you'll be able to pay soon to get your collateral back. That's the, that's the rule. What's fascinating is that if the person who you're taking the collateral from is a poor person, and generally speaking, if the court has to take a collateral... You're probably a poor person. Otherwise, you would pay. So, again, it's not 100%, but generally speaking, it's going to be a poor person. So the Torah says, if, a, if you take a collateral from a poor man, let's say you take his blanket. Take his blanket. Well, what's the guy going to sleep on at night? It's going to be freezing. So the Torah says, you have to return the blanket every night. In the morning, you take your collateral to your house. And at night, you return the collateral to the poor person because he needs a blanket. So you'll say, so what's the point? I mean, truthfully, nobody wants their blankets every day transferring back and forth. So the Torah says a fascinating language. It says, when you will return that blanket at night, so the poor person has a blanket, or if it would be tools that he needed for his jobs, he'd return the tools by day. When you return those, those tools, those blankets, the collateral, it's ulecha tiyetzedaka, to you will be charity, or to you will be righteousness. There's really two ways to translate the word. In other words, the Torah is looking at it that if you have the ability, you lent the money, the guy couldn't pay you, he gave you a collateral, but you're returning it to him because you know the guy's going to suffer terribly without a blanket at night. If he doesn't have his tools, he can't make any money. So that's called charity. However, interesting enough, there's another way to read the verse. It's to you is righteousness. What do you mean to you is righteousness? I was thinking about it this morning. You, as a person, whenever we do a good deed, by the way, even if we don't do a good deed, you do a bad deed, that affects you what kind of person you are. You, you know, we say you are what you eat, but uh, you are how you act. You do good things, you become a good person. You do things that are not so good, you become a bad person. And most of us are somewhere in between. So this person who lent money, the lender, who has the ability to go ahead and return this collateral, which means that he, he doesn't really have a good uh, way of making sure that he gets to hold on to the money he's trying to collect. So he, that lender who returns the object, is a righteous person. It's, it's, we're identifying who this person is. It's what he becomes. And here goes my music. 
And if I tell you I had like eight commands I wanted to talk about, and I've gotten through two, you might believe me. Anyways, please hold through through the break. You're listening to Let's Talk to Rabbi Tzvi on New Radio Media. And when we come back, time for trending news and maybe some more commandments. Hold it through the break. Plus, the latest LiftMaster garage door openers and the toughest retractable screens on the market, all by the push of a button. Tarno Doors is celebrating its 50th year anniversary and is the recipient of the 2016 Subcontractor of the Year from the Home Builders Association. Tarno knows doors. Tarno knows doors. Hi, I'm Art, and we're the crew at Tuffy Walled Lake. We've been in Walled Lake for 20 years. And through our knowledgeable staff and customer satisfaction, we've become quite the cornerstone in our community and to our discerning customers statewide. We know how important your vehicle is to you, and we take pride in our impeccable, affordable service. And we're trying to get you back on the road as quickly and safely as we possibly can. Please stop in and see why everybody comes from all over to get their car serviced at 784 North Pontiac Trail in Wald Lake. As a business owner, you're always looking to save money and cut costs where you can. And if you advertise on radio or television, you know it can get pretty pricey. If radio and TV aren't delivering like they promised, and you're looking for a more reasonably priced way to get your message to the masses, I've got an answer for you. New Radio Media. With live streaming and on-demand programming, your message can be seen throughout the day, and you can worry a little less about cutting those costs. For more information, go to newradiomedia.com or call Buzz Van Houten at 248-939-9999. Detroit. It's the home of some of the world's most talented artists. It's where techno and Motown were born. It's a city where you can experience raw, untamed rock and roll. I'm Ben Rose, and I'm inviting you to join me weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 for the Motor City Juke Joint. I'll have interviews with musicians, info on what's going on around town, and a playlist curated by me just for you. It's all right here on NewRadioMedia.com. And we're back. And of course, time was flying. I forgot to tell you what changed. What changed was they made me move my mic. So I, I, I think uh, this side must be my better side. That's what my daughters say. Uh, but in any case, so now that I've moved my mic, um, now you know the change. And now I can't look at Ben as easily. And maybe that's what they wanted. Um, okay, let's, uh, while we're talking already about uh, returning collaterals and and we've talked about lost and found. Um, I wanted to touch on some trending news, and we'll see what we get back and forth with some of the other stuff. First of all, you may have known in the news this week that um, now this is really this story is almost a year old. It seems about a year ago um, the Russians shot off four missiles, and those missiles were nuclear powered, which seems to mean that um, that the missile I guess just keeps flying around; it doesn't run out of energy because not using gas anymore or rocket fuel, it's using nuclear energy, which is a great idea, and they were experimenting with it. It seems the missiles were in the air about 22 minutes. That's what it said in the article. Well, it seems they lost one of them. We're talking about lost and found, returning lost objects. I guess you got to think about what would be the rule if that 
a missile landed in your backyard, I'm assuming they weren't uh, didn't have warheads on them. Um, would you have a mitzvah to return that missile? Like it probably has a big sign on it. It says, "If found, return to sender." You know, like those old key rings. All right, return to sender, uh, USSR, whatever. Uh, please call and whatever. Um, so in actuality, no, you would, you would not have to return that missile for numerous reasons, of which most I imagine you're smart enough to figure out on your own. But I'm just wondering myself, like, if you're this Russian Air Force that launched the missile, and it's a year later, and now you're looking for this lost missile, like, this is not good to launch missiles and stuff and lose them. It just doesn't sound like a good thing. But um, in any case... Um, one more piece of trending news, then we'll, maybe we'll, we'll take a, a break on the trending news, get into some more laws. Uh, very interesting, we're talking about taking care of people, the whole, I return a lost object, I'm taking care of a person. I return the collateral to a poor person, I'm taking care of the poor person. We said that makes me a better person. So listen to this fantastic story that was in this week's news. Um, there was a, a, a man, I don't remember where he lived, and it seems he noticed the sanitation workers who drove by the neighborhood were hot and sweaty, working hard. So he decided to put a cooler outside his house and fill it with ice and put the water in it, maybe beverages, maybe soda, not whatever he put in it. And it would a big sign, you know, please help yourself. You're working hard. I appreciate your work. And it seems uh, the message got around, whether it's police officers or fire or sanitation, people always came by and took stuff out of the cooler. Till one week the cooler wasn't there. What happened? Unfortunately, the man passed away. Um, but his wife, she knew that this was important to her husband. So um, I guess she took a week off after the funeral, and she went ahead, and she put out a cooler, and maybe not as much stuff as her husband used to put out. Maybe she wasn't able to get all the stuff with a sign saying, sorry that I was a week off, and sorry... Um, it's not what you used to. My husband used to do this. My husband passed away. and um, But now I'm going to try to keep this uh, custom, I guess if you'll call it, this good deed that he was doing. I want to keep it going. So in, a, in a, just a, a wonderful, warm um, show of appreciation, um, the sanitation group stopped. They read the sign. And they must have sent a message out because how many people should be coming by. And they all went to the lady's house. They all saluted. They all wished her condolences. They all shook her hand. They all said how much they appreciated what her husband and now she herself were continuing to do, which is to think about other people. Just to think about other people. How can I help somebody? The Torah has numerous rules in this week's Torah portion. How I can have in my mind to think about other people. The person lost, a lot, lost something. You know, it bothers people when they lose something, especially if it's uh, valuable, if it has, uh, if it has uh, meaning to someone, or, or returning that collateral to the poor person. Or here's a few others for you. Um, there's a few types of charity, most of the charities we're familiar with, are all voluntary. You want to give, you don't want to give, you want to go to my webpage, you want to push the button that says uh, donate to help uh, children that are studying in the school I represent, make sure they get a, a, a fantastic education. That's all voluntary. No one is forcing you, and except once they learn hypnotis, hypnotics, hypnosis. There must be a way to hypnotize people listening, and then I can make you hit that button. But until I get to that point, I have no idea how you do such a thing. But in any case, most charities 
are completely voluntary. However, the Torah has a group of charity which is actually forced. Um, one is you may not charge interest on a loan. As I can rent you my car, I can rent you my shovel, I can rent you my baseball, but I cannot rent you my money. The Torah demands that the person is borrowing money, he wants to borrow money, then you lend him the money interest-free. That's a Jewish loan. It's interesting, a book I'm in the middle of reading will talk about. Um, I guess everybody has these types. The, the Muslims also have a, what's called a Muslim interest, which means no interest. But it's all coming from the same place. It's all coming from the Torah that says no interest. So it is a forced kind of charity. So you'll ask me, so how am I supposed to make money? If I have money to invest, how do I make money? So you're not a bank. You're not a credit card. You're not a bank. You're not looking to charge interest. You want to make a business investment? Go right ahead and make a business investment. I'll give you the money. You'll put in the hard work. We'll split the profits 50-50 or we'll take the losses 50-50, whichever way it goes. That is how the Torah wants you to act with your money. That's called a forced charity. Another kind of forced charity um, is the farmer when he's harvesting. So it's called in Hebrew it's called leket which means when one or two stalks fall when you actually cut the wheat or the grain with your sickle, because uh, normally you hold it with your hand, you cut, and some go flying. Poor people can pick that up. You have to leave it. Shikha means if you forget a whole bundle, and peya is a whole corner of your field you leave, and the poor people come and take. I don't know what would happen in modern-day society. You know, the corner of the field is going to stay because you're not allowed, the farmer is not allowed to touch the corner of the field. Um, but nowadays these combine machines are like vacuum cleaners. They like in one, you know, swallow or suction, they just pull in all those grains and, and they're bundling it and they're separating it and their whole business. I don't know exactly how you would do this leket and shikha nowadays, but again, it's another kind of forced charity. So these are two examples. One, that I lend money without interest and these next three of where I have to leave certain of my grain in the field for the poor, that is not a, a voluntary charity. That's actually a forced charity. Um, continuing talking about fields and stuff, another very interesting law is, again, we don't really do this nowadays in at least a modern country, in a, uh, in a, um, in a third world country where they're still using cows for their threshing to break the chaff off the uh, off the kernels, or to um, or to break the whole stalk and have the kernels separate from the stalk. So you usually had animals walk over it, and the weight of the animal would crush everything up. So the rule is, if your animal is working um, on that food, it's normal an animal sees food he wants to eat. So the Torah says you're not allowed to muzzle your animal. It is forbidden to muzzle your animal. You're making the animal suffer. You can't make an animal suffer. We talk about um, what's called Tzar Bale Chaim. We, we do not, on purpose, make animals suffer. doesn't mean I can't slaughter them and have them for uh, my hamburger or for my supper or my steak. That's not what we're referring to. But for no reason at all to make an animal suffer, Torah says you can't do. Therefore, the Torah wants, do not muzzle your animal. Now, what's interesting is, not only you can't muzzle an animal, 
Now, you can give him a feeding bag, by the way. Not only you can't muzzle the animal, you can't muzzle a worker either, which means that if I was harvesting your apples or grapes or wheat or whatever I'm harvesting for you and I'm hungry, I'm allowed to take something to eat. Now, I can't put anything in my pocket. I'm not allowed to take the growing produce and put it in my pocket to take home. That I'm not allowed to do. But the same way the Torah says you can't muzzle an animal, you cannot muzzle the worker himself. Both have to be allowed to eat. That's part of how we treat our workers. Um, Another one to give you an idea of treating workers or people for that matter, I think is another important one, is um, loading and unloading. means like this. You see an animal. Again, we don't have animals. So you're going to have to, to use this example in a modern-day way. We'll figure out some examples. But you see a person's animal is teetering. They, they overloaded the animal, and um, the, the owner is trying to offload it, and the animal is suffering. you got to help him offload his stuff. You have a command. Now, if the owner puts his feet up on the desk and says, you have a command to unload, and for me, it's just mine, so uh, go ahead and do your mitzvah. Of course, you don't have to help. You help with him. So it, 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 so we have this animal suffering under its load. Help the guy unload instead of having everything collapse all over the place. The same way, if he's loading his animal, help him load his animal. If he loads it improperly, the weight that's not distributed properly is going to cause suffering. So it's the same thing. You, you see somebody... You know, uh, schlepping, delivering, you're allowed to help. You're allowed to say it would be a positive command. The guy needs some help loading, carrying, balancing. You have a mitzvah to help the person just carry his stuff normally. If you see somebody's walking with a load of books in a library and they're overloaded with books and they're going to either they're going to all fall on the floor or just take off three or four and you saved the whole the whole uh, tornado from just exploding all over the place and damaging and ruining and wasting time, you're allowed to help. So so one thing I think we're, we're pointing out in this week's Torah portion is that Torah has a lot of rules to protect workers. I know now they're talking on the ballot, um, uh, minimum wage, they want to make a basic minimum wage, make it $12 in Michigan. I know other states are already voting on $15. So I'm not getting involved in how much workers should be paid. The Torah doesn't really give a number or an idea of how much a worker should be paid. But one thing we do see from the Torah, and that is that workers have rights. There's certain ways that workers... I'm sorry, I thought I heard a motorcycle. That can't be a sound effect from behind me. Mm-hmm. Okay, in any case, um, see, I, I notice things, I hear things terrible, all the things, it's, I'm sure it's just uh, playing in my brain. In any case, so the Torah does care about workers. The Torah wants you to treat them properly, treat them like a mensch, treat them like a person, be better than that, become a better person by how you treat your workers. doesn't mean share the wealth, that I'm the one with, that, that I have skin in the game and you don't have skin in the game and all of a sudden I have to share my money with you. I don't mean that kind of stuff. I just mean that we have to go ahead and, and in, in those ways that the Torah points out, we have to be careful to treat those people properly. And my few seconds left, I'm not going to get to it. I was going to talk about jellyfish. And I'm not going to even have time after the break. Because after the break, I'm going to have my friend Rabbi Jonas and Goldson 
of ethical imperatives, and he's going to speak to us. And I'm going to have to do my word of the week and our letter of the week and a long story I have prepared. So I apologize to the jellyfish. But one thing interesting about jellyfish you should know um, is in Israel, they're trying to find a way that the jellyfish can actually deal with the microplastics that are in the oceans. I don't know if you heard about this, but they're going to somehow use the jellyfish and go ahead and clean up some of the mess that we keep hearing about in the news. In any case, more about jellyfish I don't have time for. You're listening to Let's Talk Torah with Rabbi Tzvi on New Radio Media. And stay through the break. I'll be right back. Maple Lane Golf Club is a 54-hole golfing treasure located in the heart of Sterling Heights. Maple Lane Golf Club offers immaculate greens, a top-flight pro shop, and inexpensive green fees. For convenience, book your tee time online at maplelanegolf.com. Come out and enjoy a great golf experience. Try our nine and dine special, nine holes of golf, and enjoy food and refreshments in the Clubhouse Bistro. That's Maple Lane Golf Club in Sterling Heights. Check us out at maplelanegolf.com. At Murray's Park City, we're known for offering customer service you won't get in any chain store or online. But don't take it from me, just listen to what our customers have to say. The employees at Murray's are knowledgeable, courteous. They make you feel like you're at home. Pick up a can of Seafoam Fuel System Treatment for only $6.99 or a 5-quart container of Mobile One Motor Oil for just $28.95. Murray's Park City and Pontiac Trail at Maple Road in Walled Lake. We've got the parts you need when you need them. A study from Johns Hopkins researchers indicates a high-fat diet may lead to the development of new nerve cells in your brain that influence how much you eat. But it's also been known for decades that the brain continues to form new nerve cells well into adulthood. So for now it appears the process occurs not only in the parts of your brain associated with memory and a sense of smell, but also in the ones that control your various body functions including hunger and thirst. One researcher believes that your brain functions this way as part of your body's survival mechanism. When food is abundant, it generates cells that will make you eat more and make you store excess calories as fat for use when food is not readily available. But the problem with humans, particularly those in developed countries, is that food is almost always readily available. So the more you eat, the more fat you store and the greater becomes your appetite. With another Prescription for Your Health, I'm Dr. Jim Bragman. And we're back. And as always, we are joined by Rabbi Yonason Goldson of Ethical Imperatives. Yonason, how are you today? I am very well. How are you, Ripsy? Great. I am looking forward. The clock is ticking. Go for it. Okay. Well, earlier this week, Pope Francis made headlines when he publicly condemned decades of abuse by Catholic priests and the systemic cover-up of abuse by church leaders. He wrote, with shame and repentance, we acknowledge the damage done to so many lives. We showed no care for the little ones. We abandoned them. Since those accused accusations began to surface in the 1990s, many Catholics lost their faith and parted company with the Vatican. But what's remarkable is the report by some Catholics that their commitment has deepened on account of the scandalous revelations. This might seem to some like detachment from reality, but it reveals a profound truth about the essence of our humanity. King Solomon says there is no righteous person upon this earth who does good and does not sin. Without human imperfection, there's no opportunity for virtue. 
even the most sincere adherents to higher values occasionally stumble and fall despite their best efforts. But it's what we do after we fall that makes all the difference. Do we make excuses for ourselves and try to hide our transgressions? Or do we stand up and speak out by taking responsibility for our own misdeeds and demanding accountability from those who do evil? As we approach Rosh Hashanah, we need to constantly remind ourselves that the greatest act of moral courage is to confront wickedness wherever we find it in whatever form it takes. By doing so, we not only strengthen our own moral discipline, we inspire those around us to ask more from themselves as well. Amazing, as always. Janison, I appreciate it. Have a great Shabbos. Good Shabbos to you. Okay. Hey, he really gets into trending news. All the things that I'm afraid to talk about. Not really afraid. Call me. I might talk about them. Anyways, we're ready for our letter and word of the week. We're up to our ninth post, our ninth letter, the letter Tet, or the letter Tess. Um, it's, uh, I guess it almost looks like a, you know, it looks like a big hook that goes all the way around. It makes a T sound. Its numerical value is nine. It's an unusual letter in that it's not from the more common letters. Like T in the, in the English alphabet, if you play hangman, comes up very often. The Tet or test letter does not come up often, but it has some fantastic words. And the word this week is tahar. Tahar means pure, as in purity. And we, we started talking, I talked about chauffeur earlier, um, Rabbi Goldson talked about getting ready for the high holidays. We are trying to purify ourselves. We are trying to cleanse ourselves. And that's my word of the week. My word is tahar. But actually... My story leading in, which I'm going to have to talk fast or skip half the story or nine-tenths of the story, um, is talking about students. You know, we talk about our children. Young children are pure. They are pure. They don't have sin. They may be devils in class sometimes, but they are pure as far as their soul. And here is just an amazing story. So you can think of teacher, even though teacher is an English word. It doesn't start with a letter test, but that's close enough. So in any case... We'll call him Shmuel. Shmuel had a classic case of ADHD. Shmuel in class couldn't focus for more than 15, 20 seconds. He would play with things in his desk, and his teachers knew how to deal with him. And when they saw him getting too jumpy, they would send him to the office. Could you get some chalk? I know that's a little old-fashioned. Can you get a marker? Can you get some paper towels to clean up the board? Can you get me a glass of water? Can you photocopy these papers? Things to keep Shmuel moving. They were very understanding of his needs, and they, they let him live, which is something important. And, um, but one day the principal walks in, and the principal says, Class, I'm sorry to inform you, your teacher um, had an emergency surgery last night. He'll be out of uh, school for a couple weeks, if not longer. Um, so I'm introducing you. We'll call him Teacher Substitute. Teacher Substitute will take care of you for the next few weeks. But Teacher Substitute did not know how to deal with an ADHD, with a, a child who couldn't sit still. He was always on spilkes, as we like to say. He couldn't, he couldn't do anything. He walked over and saw Shmuel making an airplane. He said, Shmuel, what are you doing? You're supposed to be studying. And he took that airplane and he crumpled it up. And he started sending Shmuel out to the office. And he even started calling the parents in for meetings and 
and and by the meetings, telling the parents how this Shmuel will turn into nothing. There'll be nothing from him. He doesn't know how to study. He doesn't focus. He doesn't put in effort. All things that our little Shmuel really was incapable of doing. And Shmuel was starting to feel pretty bad. Nowadays, you would have your psychologist and you would sue people. But I guess in those days they didn't. Eventually that substitute moved on. Shmuel moved through school. Most of his teachers understood him. And actually Shmuel um, was allowed to continue with his life. Moves on through high school. Again, his school was not for him. Um, gets married and decides to join the ambulance corps in Israel called Mugen David Adom. Um, that's the, the Red Cross in Israel. And he becomes one of their... Uh, one of their um, uh, ambulance guys, and he saves people, and he drives around, and one day he gets a call, emergency, please drive to this house, person having a heart attack, and he, he gets to the house, and he sees this person on the floor, face ready is white, and he starts CPR and the medicines, and and they, he gets a pulse, and they get him into the ambulance, and he moves his way to, um, to the hospital, and he actually survives. So uh, the son of this man who had the heart attack, wanted to make a special party and invited Shmuel to come to the party. And I wish I had more time to embellish the story. I don't have more time to embellish it. But my wife said, oh, she knew the ending to that story. Sure enough, Shmuel had saved the life of that teacher substitute. In other words, the teacher who had told Shmuel that what will be with you, that's the person who saved his life. School may not be for everybody. We have to teach our children, help our children, make sure our children remain pure, do whatever best for our children to make them the best they can be, which is not always to be scholarly. Well, my time is up. Thank you to our wonderful sponsors and listeners. You know I couldn't do without you. Thank you to my wonderful team today, Tony, Kelsey, Ben, Angel. I hope I've left you some food for thought. Until next week, I'm Rabbi Tzvi. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on New Radio Media. Until next week, don't forget to think about it.